All right, the third Sunday of Advent. The king and his kingdom has come. You realize that, right? The king has come, his kingdom has come. The season of Advent balances two elements, the element of remembrance and the elements of anticipation. Advent is filled with both remembrance and anticipation. Anticipation looks to the return of Jesus. Remembrance looks to the birth of Jesus. They both look to a coming, a coming yet to be and a coming already fulfilled. The first two Sundays of Advent anticipate the return of Christ in His kingdom. The last two Sundays remember the arrival of God's kingdom with the birth of Jesus. Advent is about the living Christ and His coming. In remembering His birth, we anticipate His coming. So we should never do just one. We should always do both. When we celebrate Christmas and we remember the birth of Jesus, we should not remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus without the anticipation of His coming. And we can't anticipate His coming, His return, without realizing He has already come. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a return. The rose candle that's become traditional on the third Sunday is symbolic of the joy of worshiping the newfound king who is truly God with us. That joy was seen in the shepherds and in the angels proclaiming joy to the world. And that joy is seen in the manifestation of God's kingdom with the coming of Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. The manifestation of God's kingdom that came with Jesus. And this is why Merry Christmas has real meaning today. May we both remember and anticipate Christ. May we experience his joy. May we remember the proclamation of the angels declaring joy to the world. The Savior is born. May we remember the king and his kingdom has come. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. I'm going to read these scriptures. Follow with me. Now when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Father, we thank you for the gospel. 
We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, Lord, illuminate your word. May it transform us and renew our minds to your truth that we would be a people, that we would be your light bearers in this dark world, bringing your light and bringing your hope and bringing your life to all. Father, especially in this Christmas season, may we be mindful of this, but not just at Christmas. God, may we be mindful of this every day, for every day is the day that you have made, and every day is the day we should celebrate your coming in remembrance and in anticipation. We thank you. The King has come, and so has his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The king and his kingdom has come. So with the coming of Jesus came the manifestation of the kingdom. So remember last week we talked about John the Baptist. We see John out baptizing at the River Jordan and all of of Jerusalem is going out and the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're going out there and they're asking John, who are you and why are you doing this? And John tells them, I am not the one, but the one that I proclaim, the one I was sent to speak of, he is coming and he is even among you whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to even tie. John was the forerunner. He was the one, the voice crying in the wilderness. When they asked John, who are you? He said, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the paths of the Lord. Remember, he said, every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain shall be made low. The crooked places made straight. And this is a picture of God preparing the way. This is a picture of God making a way for us to come to the very presence, to come to salvation, to come to life, to come to the Father. Jesus is the way. He is the one that exalts the valleys, brings low the mountains, makes straight the crooked. Jesus made a way where there was no way. John came proclaiming that way. Jesus was born, Jesus grew up, and when we read, as we read this verse in Matthew 11, as we read these verses, we see that Jesus is walking and carrying out his earthly ministry. And when we read these verses in Matthew, we see that John has gone from baptizing at the river, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, to now John being imprisoned by Herod. But John is still wondering, is Jesus the coming one? Or do we look for another? So John sends his disciples Go and ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Or the question is this, are you the Messiah? Should we look to you? Should we follow you? Or are we still waiting for another to come? We look back in remembrance on this third Sunday of Advent, 
to the manifestation of God's kingdom in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And in these verses, Matthew presents the reality of God's kingdom changing the world. Now that might, that might seem odd. Because if you go back and you look at the world in Jesus' day, I mean, here is John the Baptist. Who, what does Jesus say about John? There is no prophet greater. But where is John? He's in prison. And we know what happens to John. The greatest prophet had his head taken off by a wicked king. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Under literally the iron fist and the iron foot of Rome. And Israel is looking for their Savior. Israel is looking for their Messiah. And Israel knows that the time of the coming of the Messiah is near. Because they know the prophecies of Daniel. They understood that prophecy. And they understood that prophecy meant that at this time, somewhere in this window of time, there is a Messiah coming to set us free. That's why Jesus was the most common name given to Jewish boys in his day. Because every Jewish mother wanted her son to be the Savior. Because everyone knew the Messiah was coming because they could do the math shown us in Daniel. They weren't looking for a fulfillment thousands of years in the future. They're, they weren't looking for something like many today are still yet to take place. They understood, hey, it's time. Let's do the math. The Messiah is supposed to come. And that's why they went out to John and they said, are you the one? And he said, nope, I'm not the one. I'm just pointing the way to the one. So here comes Jesus, and what is Jesus doing? He's, he's healing the blind. He's healing the deaf. He's causing the lame to walk. He's raising the dead. He's doing things that have never been done before. And John sees this, and John knows this, and John is pointing his disciples don't worry about Jesus baptizing. Don't worry. We're not in competition here. We're waiting for the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, then go follow him. I'm just the voice crying in the wilderness. And now John's in prison. And John is wondering, okay, Jesus, are you the one? Go ask him, is he the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus, while he's doing all of these things... Healing the lame, healing the blind, cleansing the lepers, healing the deaf, raising the dead, preaching the good news to the poor. He's doing all of these things. He's, he's changing the world, though the world doesn't maybe appear as though it's changing. But the world is changing. Do you know that the world is changing today? But if we look at everything we see 
around us and we watch the media or read the media, it may appear as though the world is not changing. If we listen to the narrative the world is giving us, guess what? We're not going to believe the world is changing. But if we believe the narrative the Scripture has given us, we have to believe the world is changing and it's changing for the better. Just because our eyes don't always see what we want to see, just because our eyes don't always see what we have determined it must be, does not mean that God is not working and God is not moving and God is not changing the world because He is. And how do we know that's true? Because we have the Bible. Because this is exactly what was happening in Jesus' day. This is exactly why John asked this question. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And the answer Jesus gave. So John asked the question that was on everyone's mind in that day. It wasn't just John because he was in prison. This was the question all Israel was asking. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And the answer Jesus gives to that question, he gives by declaring the manifestation of the kingdom. He doesn't give a simple, yes, I am the Messiah, follow me. You would think that's, that's all Jesus would have to say, right? But Jesus didn't say that in those words. But that is exactly what he said. Jesus answered, he said, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. Well, what were the things the people were hearing and seeing? They were hearing and they were seeing the blind see and the lame walk. The leopards cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised up, and the poor having the gospel preached to them. That's what they were hearing. That's what they were seeing. Why did Jesus answer the question that way instead of a simple, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the coming one. Those things Jesus indicated were the very things proclaimed by the prophets to herald the coming of God's kingdom and his king. You do know you can't have a kingdom without a king, right? All this talk of the kingdom implies there's a king somewhere. And if there is not a king, then there is no kingdom. If there is a kingdom, we must know there is a king. Anyone can claim to be the Messiah... But only the true Messiah can manifest the kingdom. Anyone can claim to be the king, but only the king can manifest his kingdom. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, declared himself to be the Messiah. Jesus, in answer to John, is presenting himself as the promised king 
who would usher in the kingdom. He is specifically referring to the words of the prophet Isaiah, recorded for us in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, in other places as well. But let's just consider those two chapters in Isaiah. Now, we already had, at the lighting of the Advent candles, the verses from Isaiah 31, verses 1 through 10. But I want you to listen to the imagery of the kingdom The imagery of kingdom restoration presented by Isaiah. Isaiah 35, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what Isaiah says. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and bloom as the rose. So we have wilderness, we have wasteland, we have desert. They've gone from wilderness, wasteland, desert to... Rejoicing and blooming. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the Lord. Um, Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Do you see where we're going from? We're going from weakness to strength. We're going from fear to courage. We're going from desert to bloom and abundance. Behold, your God will come with vengeance With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And what's going to happen when he comes? Listen, this is important. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense of the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And when he comes and saves us, what will happen? Look at verse 5. Then, when? When he comes with vengeance, when he comes with recompense, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Then again, Isaiah speaks of the coming king recorded for us in Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4. Now this is an important verse because Jesus quotes this. We're going to see this in just a moment. Listen to what Isaiah pins in the 61st chapter, the first four verses. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. The manifestation of the kingdom is not according to our will. It is according to the king's will. You guys get that? Because this is really important. Where is John when he's asking this question? He's in prison. Now, whether John knows it or not, and I don't think he does because it wasn't planned by Herod to take off John's head, but that's exactly what happened. But with someone like Herod, you never knew what was going to happen. So John's in prison, and his fate is uncertain to him. And he's wondering, 
Is Jesus the one? Is he the Messiah? I've got to know. And I would imagine John was wondering for a number of reasons. When Jesus came back from his temptation in the wilderness, he had already been baptized by John. So Jesus, at the age of 30, approximately 30 years old, and that's consistent with Jewish culture, because in the Jewish culture, it was thought that no one had really lived enough if they didn't live at least 30 years. No rabbi, no teacher was given much credence unless they had lived to a certain point. 30 years was the socially acceptable, the culturally acceptable age. So this is why we know Jesus was around 30 years old when he got baptized by John. And when he got baptized by John, that's when his earthly ministry began publicly. And immediately when he's baptized by John, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And he was there for 40 days being tempted in the wilderness. He goes through that 40 days of temptation. He comes back from the wilderness. Remember, he's already been baptized by John. And when John baptizes him, John declares, Behold the Lamb of God. John says, I shouldn't be baptizing you, Jesus. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, In order to fulfill all righteousness, it must be this way. Baptize me. And John baptizes Jesus, and when he comes up out of the water, the Bible says that a dove descended upon Jesus, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Some people thought it thundered, others heard. You see, some people had ears to hear, and some people didn't. Some people had eyes to see, and some people didn't. John saw the dove descend from heaven. I don't believe it was a literal dove. I believe it was a vision that John had because John was told, the one whom you see, the dove descending, that's the one. And when John baptized Jesus and he comes up out of the water, that's what he sees. And he knew it was confirmed to him, this is my beloved son. This is the Messiah. But now, Jesus then goes into the wilderness. He comes back, and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, to the synagogue he grew up in, the synagogue he was in every Sabbath. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord... Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right there, in that synagogue in Nazareth, in his, in, in his town that he grew up, Jesus proclaims himself right there amongst his people. I am the Messiah. I am the one Isaiah is talking about. Today, in your hearing, the scripture is fulfilled.
what do you think they did? All jump up and begin cheering. Messiah, Messiah. No, nope, they didn't. Jesus said that, and they all start whispering to one another. Uh, isn't this Joseph, son, that carpenter guy? Isn't this his son? What, what's he talking about? Jesus was declaring himself to be God's Messiah, God's anointed one. Jesus was declaring the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Jesus revealed himself to be the promised Messiah who would proclaim good news to the poor, who would heal the brokenhearted, set those captive and oppressed free. Jesus would give sight to the blind, ears to the deaf, and give legs to the lame. Jesus does those things for those who trust him. But he doesn't always do them according to the way we want or the way we think they should be done. He doesn't always do it according to our way or our will. Many are offended in that. And many were offended that day. After all, this was only the son of Joseph, the carpenter, speaking these words. Do you know that many are still offended today at the words of Jesus? And so when John sends his disciples, go and ask him, are you the one? Jesus says, you go and tell John what you hear and what you see. And then Jesus lists all of these manifestations of the kingdom that Isaiah prophesied and said, when the Messiah comes, this is what he will do. And he says, go tell him what you see and hear. This is what's being done. In other words, yes, I am the one. But then in verse 6, Jesus adds a little caveat here. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. He quotes all the manifestations of the kingdom that we just read in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven six, 6, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus declares a blessing to those not offended by him. And I'm going to tell you that blessing applies today just as it applied in that day. Because Jesus is still speaking, the word of God is still in force, and there are still men offended at the word of Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now think about this. John is in prison when he sends his disciples to ask if Jesus is the coming one, if Jesus is the Messiah. And John would have a reasonable expectation to be set free Because John knows the words of Isaiah and all that was prophesied and promised concerning the coming of the Messiah. And one of those promises was that the Messiah would open the prison to those who were bound. That he would open prison doors and set the captives free. I have to believe that when John asked the question and the disciples come back and say, this is what Jesus said, and Jesus is literally quoting Isaiah 35 and literally quoting Isaiah 61, where it literally says that Jesus will come, the Messiah will come and open the prison doors and set the captives free. I have to believe that John probably thought, praise God, I am going to get out of this prison because Jesus is the Messiah. Forget that he's my cousin also. I mean, if your cousin was in prison, you had the power to get your cousin out, and he was innocent, wouldn't you do it? Sure you would. I would. But you also probably, when you get word that your good friend is deathly sick, you probably wouldn't spend two days in the town you are and take your time and then go there after you know he's dead for four days. 
But that's what Jesus did. And do you know what? That offends a lot of people. And they're left trying to make excuses for why Jesus might have done that. Listen, Jesus did it because that's, that's what he wanted to do. Jesus did it because that was the plan. Jesus did it because that's how he chose to manifest the kingdom. He didn't choose to do it the way you or I would. He did it his way. You realize Frank Sinatra was just copying. Frank Sinatra was just putting himself in God's place when he said, I did it my way. Listen, the only one that has the right to do it his way is God. We don't have the right to do it our way. We are called to trust in his way. So there are many who are offended because of the words of Jesus. Here is John bound in prison. And Jesus was the one promised to open the prison doors. Jesus did not open the material prison doors that held John captive. In fact, John stayed there till he was beheaded. But Jesus, no doubt, opened the prison doors. Jesus set John and all who trust in him free from the prison of sin and death. We could all be incarcerated in prison for whatever. There are people in China right now in prison simply for their faith in Jesus, and they may die in that prison. But do you know what? Jesus has already opened the prison doors. It doesn't matter what iron bars hold them. They are free in Jesus. They have been set free. They were captive by sin and death, and they are free. This is why they don't care whether they go to prison or not. We're a little bit different here in the West. We've fallen in love with our lifestyle, and we don't want to lose it. But in China, many of these people that are suffering for their faith have simply fallen in love with Jesus, and everything else around them doesn't really matter because they have Jesus. And I'm not saying we live irresponsible lives and we just don't care anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus has set us free. And it doesn't matter whether we're behind bars. It doesn't matter if our body is sick. It doesn't matter if we're poor. It doesn't matter if we're rich. It doesn't matter what our physical circumstance is. Jesus has already set us free. The question is, do you know your freedom? And do you rejoice in your freedom? Are you still sad because you're behind bars? There are many who become offended at Jesus because he does not set them free in the way they want to be set free. There are many offended at Jesus because he does not manifest the kingdom in the way that they want and when they want. Many are offended at Jesus because he manifests the kingdom according to his will and not our own. Many are offended at Jesus because there are things recorded here in his word that they don't agree with. His kingdom comes according to his will, not our own. We must heed the words of Jesus. These words he spoke for the benefit of John the Baptist. He spoke these words to John, but he spoke these words for all of us who profess faith in Jesus. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. 
The king is ordering and establishing his ever-increasing kingdom. This is the point of our faith, our trust in our king, not in ourself. Our trust is in our king. It is not to be in ourself. Our prayer is for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. God is bringing the fullness of his kingdom to this earth. This is why Advent is a reminder that the king has come and his kingdom is here. But also that the king is coming and his kingdom ever increasing. This is the promise that was given. While Jesus is out healing blind and lame and deaf people and preaching the gospel to the poor. While John is in prison behind bars. The reality is Jesus is changing the world. Even though John's world might not be changing in the immediate, Jesus is changing the world. The true is the same is true for us today. Your circumstances may not be changing immediately, but that doesn't mean God is not changing the world because he is. And it's not that we're to not care about our immediate circumstances. It's that we are to care more about what God is doing in changing the world and trusting that even in our immediate circumstances, God is working and God is bringing change in ways that we may not be able to see it. We may not be able to discern it. Certainly in ways that we may not be able to understand it. But do we trust the king to bring his kingdom as he wills. We must. God is bringing the fullness of his kingdom to this earth. The king has come. The kingdom is here. But it's not just here. It is increasing. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Again, prophesying of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase, pay close attention here, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, either the Bible is true or it's not. Either that means exactly what it says or it doesn't. We can't have that being true and also believing that the world is getting worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker. And then one day when Jesus comes back, then it'll all just be made right. If that's true, then we've, we've, had, a, we've had a crescendo to the birth of Jesus, and somewhere along the way, now we're, we're, we're nosediving. And we've gone from the increase to the decrease. But this scripture, the Bible doesn't talk about a decrease. It says there will be an increase that has no end. Do you know why people don't die today in many parts of the world? from drinking water because of the gospel? Do you know why people all over the world survive cuts and scrapes and don't give a thought about it? 
because of the gospel. Do you know why people can have their organs removed and new ones put in called transplant surgery? You know why that is real? Because of the gospel. Do you know why when you take a aspirin, it will relieve your headache? Because of the gospel. Do you know why you were able to, if you did this morning, turn on your water in your shower and it be hot and you step in and you wash yourself and you had all kinds of soap and conditioners and shampoos, if you use shampoo, you had everything you needed right there, right there at arm's length. You know why you have that? Because of the gospel. Say, no, Pastor Jeff, it's not because of the gospel, it's because of the technology of man, it's because of the the advance that man has brought. Really? Well, how do you think man was able to bring all those advances? The gospel. You know why we're here today and we're not worried about the police breaking in and putting us all in jail like John the Baptist? Because of the gospel. You know why coming in November of next year you're going to go to the polls and you're going to elect your leaders? You know why you're going to be able to do that? Because of the gospel. Do you know why the world has changed radically and drastically? Because of the gospel. Do you know why you don't know that the world has changed radically and drastically? Because you don't like history. But if you'll just take the time to read some history, you will see just how radically and drastically the world has changed. It has changed so much. It has become so ingrained in our in our lives, in our culture, that we're blind to it now. We're so blind to the reality of God's change and God's gospel that we are now at risk of losing the very things that God has brought to us by his gospel. You know why we're going to lose them? Because we don't believe the gospel any longer. But here's the good news. Here's the promise I just read to you. The increase will have no end. We may wane here in America with our political correctness and all the things that we want to chase after, but I promise you the gospel is being proclaimed. The kingdom is increasing. The government and his peace is increasing. If it's not going to be increasing in America, it's increasing somewhere. It's increasing in China. It's increasing in in Asia, all over Asia. It's increasing in some of the most oppressive places on earth where they're literally killing people because of their faith in Jesus. But guess what's happening? It's exploding and they can't control it just like they never could control it. Caesar couldn't control it. The most powerful empire to rule the world to date. And he couldn't control the gospel. He couldn't control it and no one has ever been able to control it. Because the gospel is a force of its own. And God has given to you and he's given to me that gospel to proclaim, to bring change to our world. Change to this world, beginning in your heart. Change to the world out here that we all live in. The king is ordering. He is establishing his ever-increasing 
kingdom. We have to be patient like the farmer who plants and waters, trusting God to bring the increase. Listen to what James says, James 5, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Why does James bring about the name why does he talk about the prophets? Do you know all of the scriptures I've read to you from Isaiah, those were all written over 500 years before Jesus was actually born? And some of the prophets, think about, think about what was written in Genesis 3.15. Think about how many thousands of years before that prophecy came to pass. And this is why James says, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Just because you don't see the seed sprout doesn't mean it's not going to. Be like the farmer who plants the seed and waters and then trusts God to bring the increase. What does it mean to be patient like the farmer? As we plant and water the gospel in the earth, we wait with expectancy for God to bring the increase. God is faithful and he has faithfully brought his increase as the church has planted the good seed of God's word and the gospel of Christ throughout this earth. We just need to be faithful to continue planting and watering even in the face of opposition. Our world is ever-changing and not without the gospel bringing about change for his kingdom and for his glory. We need to be reminded constantly how it has changed, how it is changing, and how it must continue to change for his glory. This is good news. The king has come and he is coming. His kingdom has come and it is ever-increasing with no end. This is why Christmas is Mary, because Jesus is King. And of his increase, there shall be no end. That's good news. Let's prepare to come to the table. Let's stand. When I was ringing the bell on Friday, <clears throat> when I, I, I really do enjoy ringing the bell. Thank you, Charlie and Jolene, for, and, and, and everyone that came out, uh, Emilio, Debbie, everyone, um, everyone that was able to come out. Even my wife came out. I was so excited to see her out there ringing the bell. Yeah. And um, so it's fun ringing the bell. And I always tell everyone, I try not to miss anyone that comes in or out. I always try to tell everyone, look them in the eye and say, Merry Christmas. So when I was ringing the bell on Friday proclaiming Merry Christmas to all, an individual, actually it's a pastor, I've only met him once and I recognized him and knew he was a pastor. In response to my Merry Christmas, he informed me that Christmas is a pagan holiday I was kind of deafened by the bell ringing I'd been ringing, and I thought he said Christmas is a bacon holiday. And I said, a, 
a bacon holiday? I said, yeah, I love bacon. He goes, no, a pagan holiday. I said, oh, a pagan holiday. He said, it's a pagan holiday. It's not in the Bible. The dates of his birth are all wrong. It's all wrong. It's not Christian. It's pagan. And my response to him was, even if that is true, we should celebrate and we should remember the birth of Christ every day. I reminded him that each and every day is the day that the Lord has made. And he said, well, that's true. And if that is true, if every day is the day that the Lord has made, then every day is the day that we should celebrate the Lord and remember the Lord. If every day is from the Lord, then why are we giving any day to the enemy? We should not. Every day is the day the Lord is made. No day belongs to the enemy. They all belong to God. And we should mark them as such. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there is no day that belongs to any but God. There is only one day, it is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How much more on the day or the days we specifically set aside to remember his coming. This isn't just about remembering the birth of Jesus, celebrating the birthday of Jesus. This is the celebration of his coming. People say, well, Jesus never celebrated his birthday. Oh, yes, he did. He sent an angel choir to celebrate his birthday. And he commands us to remember that day and to celebrate that day and proclaim his coming. Take them all back. Do you hear what I'm saying? Take every day back. Take Halloween back. Take Easter back. Take Christmas back. There's people that believe all of those days, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, they're all pagan. So we shouldn't acknowledge them. Well, then you're failing to acknowledge a day that the Lord has made. What are you going to give those days to the enemy and say, okay, we're going to have 363, but we're going to give you those three? Or we're going to have 360, but we're going to give you five days? No, none of the days belong to the enemy. None of them belong to darkness. They are all the Lord's day. We should take them all back. Take every day and make them all about Jesus and his glory. Mark and make new days to remember and celebrate him. Make every day about him so that there are no more days that we can attribute to false gods and false beliefs and pagan idolatries. Do you know that's what the Bible says the kingdom will do? It will swallow up those false gods and false belief systems, and they won't even be remembered. Do you know how many false gods and false belief systems you don't remember that you never even knew, you never even heard of? There are so many of them that are blanked out of history. Why? Because of the gospel. We should make every day an acknowledgement and a celebration of Jesus. Great or small, we should adorn and make glorious all we can. We should do this figuratively and literally to make sure the enemy has no more days to mark as his own. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day and so is every other day. Jesus is king and of the increase of his kingdom there shall be no end. And this is why we can say Merry Christmas.